Hey everyone, BT here. Thanks for joining us here on the Successful Mind Podcast. We've got something very special for our listeners today, another high-level teaching that David did recently on the Clubhouse platform. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Clubhouse, it's the latest social networking app that allows people to gather in audio chat rooms and discuss a wide range of topics. Because it is delivered over your mobile device, you may notice a difference in audio quality, which we're hoping doesn't take away from your listening experience. What's important to know here is the content is key, and David always delivers. For more information on how you can join us on future Clubhouse meetings with David, be sure to check out the show notes below. All right, enough of me already. Let's hit the club. Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. All right, so I'm going to get this started. First of all, welcome everyone to this clubhouse meeting titled Get Off the Revenue Roller Coaster. My name is Steph Tuss. I'm CEO for David, and I'm also going to be your moderator or one of your moderators tonight. Um, Framework is David's going to be doing some teaching around the the topic of Revenue Roller Coaster, and then we'll open for questions. So if you just want to take notes and write down your questions as they come to you, there will be a point in time this evening where I will be taking questions. David's a really cool guy who is who he says he is. There's not stage David and at-home David. Um, I've been working alongside him for 13 years now, um, as, as well as my husband, Brandon, who's also a moderator and podcast director for him. And I've had the pleasure of, of being witness to the hundreds of thousands of lives that have been changed by the awareness he brings through his coaching to many people. And we're hoping to instill a little of that with you tonight as well. All right, so let's just start with this. So the title of this is called Get Off the Revenue Roller Coaster. David, can you start off by just talking about what this is, what this phenomenon is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's frustrating as hell is what it is. Um, It's a funny thing because, you know, when, when somebody is experiencing their income going up and down, they're looking for what the hell is going wrong. <clears throat> Why is my income up one month and the next month it's down or it's non-existent? Um, and then a couple months later, it'll be back up again. And all the people that I've talked to over the years that have had this problem, not one person has ever said to me, you know, I think there's something going on in my subconscious mind that's controlling this. And to be quite honest with you, had I not gone through the teaching and the training that I did a long time ago, I would have never known that either. But the truth of the matter is that inside of our subconscious mind, not only do we have the patterns and the beliefs and the values that you know, take us through our life, control our perception of how we see life and how we experience it, Um, bring us the things that we want, sometimes bring us the things that we don't want. We also have these very unique set points around very specific, important things in our life, and money happens to be one of them. And, you know, the, the idea is 
and I teach this in, in several seminars, we call it a financial set point. Um, everybody has, either whether you're mega wealthy or you're, you're, you're downright dirt poor broke, everybody has a financial set point. And the question then is where did this financial set point come from? And how do I recognize it and how do I change it? Because believe it or not, when somebody is trying to increase their income, the, they're, they may think they're battling marketing or advertising or making sales calls or whatever they're doing in their business mechanically, so to speak, in order to bring sales in. What they're really battling is a subconscious financial set point that is literally determining how much money they bring in month after month after month or how much they don't bring in. And it's fascinating because you'll take, usually the set point is on an average of not a monthly income, but a yearly income because we're raised on annual incomes. So if you look at a per person's income over the period of a year, you may see it goes up in January and then it's down in February and then it's up in March and then it's down and it's up and it's down. But come towards the end of the year, they'll end up within a few points of where they were the year before. So much so that I've worked with major sales organizations that will tell you that as they work with their salespeople, they can tell you within a few percentages where each salesperson will end up in any given quarter or at the end of the year, regardless of the goals that they set for themselves because the behavior is so repetitive that they literally come out at the end like spot on where they were the year before. And it's maddening for somebody that wants to increase their income. Was that what you were looking for, Steph? Yeah, so that's exactly. So it's a, so it's an internal financial set point that controls your, your revenue month over month, week over week, day over day. How yeah. does it show up? So it shows up like this. A person, for whatever reason, decides they want to increase their income. And they know what their income is right now. So for everybody that's listening to this, think about what your current monthly, your current monthly need is, how much money you need to make every month in order just to pay your bills on time, not to pay off debt, just to pay your bills on time so that everything is, is fine. There's no, there's no upset. You're not stressing out over how am I going to make the electric payment or anything like that. That number is very important to understand because somewhere psychologically that number has a, a huge amount of control over you which we'll get to in a little bit but now you think to yourself what i want to do is i want to increase that number so we have to we have to really think about how do we pick the number that we want to increase to so most people pick it based on whatever dream they have or a goal that they want to set for themselves, they want to increase that income, their, that number. So they write that number down. I want to increase it. So let's say you wanted to go from 5,000 a month to 10,000 a month. And what we do next is we create a plan. Here's where it starts to get really wonky because when, once we start to create a plan, we have to question where are we getting this plan from? What are the beliefs and the values that are behind the plan that we're going to start to implement in order to have, you know, double, say double the amount of money that we want at the end of a month? Where is that information coming from? Because here's what generally happens. A person sets that number. They have the number that they need. They set a new number and they create some kind of a strategy in their mind that they're going to increase it. 
and they get to the end of the month and they're no further ahead or very little ahead of where they were when they started. So then they will, they will then double down on the process. Like I'm going to hit this goal. They become really determined <laughs> when they do this, their approach is usually let me work harder. And so they put everything they have into it. They work crazy hours, uh, a lot of effort. Um, it may be, Maybe that they're making a tremendous amount of phone calls, they're contacting people left and right, they're pushing themselves beyond their comfort zone, and they may actually get ahead a little bit, but the problem comes in generally is they get tired, and the next month they take their foot off the gas a bit and they come back down. Whatever the situation is, it's this up-down pattern that shows itself repetitively over a period of time. And there's two problems that we're looking at here. One is that we have this number in our mind that has an emotional reason to it for the reason that we picked it. Um, the second thing is, is that our approach, when we want to seri we seriously want to increase our income, we have to ask ourselves, can I actually do that with the same approach with the amount of money that I'm currently making? Because if I am if I am focused on working harder to double my income, to triple my income, to go from 100,000 a year to a million a year, that strategy is seriously flawed. However, it is intrinsically tied to the amount of money that you currently need to live the way that you're currently living. And this is where, this is where the problem gets confusing for most people. Most people don't realize that that they have this need value inside of themselves subconsciously that's not only tied to money, but it's tied to the things in their life, the way that they lived, how they view money or wealth or income or debt or work in their life, and it's all tied to need. And the idea is that the subconscious mind, anytime you try to change something, it goes back to the habitual pattern and it's going to pull them back down toward what they need in order to get by. And when they hit that place of what they need, then their foot comes off because they're tired and they can't figure out how to make it increase. So this need value, how, like, how did it get there and how did it get so powerful? Like it, it literally controls, without you even really consciously being aware of it, it's controlling your results. How did it get, how, did, how does it have so much power? I think it has so much power because we're raised with this as a value system. Um, when we're growing up, see kids, kids don't have any boundaries. Uh, they, you know, they're like, I want two swimming pools. I want three bicycles. I want, I want, I want. Kids don't know what it's like to have to work for something. They don't know the value of a dollar. They don't know the value of an object. And they just ask, they just ask for whatever they want. And it's the response that they get to that asking is where this need value gets created. Because very often they, they'll hear back something from their parents like this. You don't really need that. Be satisfied with what you have. You don't really need this. Be satisfied with you have, what you have. You already have one of those. You don't need a new one. Be satisfied with the one that you've got. Not only do they hear that from their parents, but they hear it from teachers, they hear it from clergy, you hear it in stories, you hear it in media, you hear it in the television, you hear it in music, it's in lyrics. It is pervasive all over the world with this idea of you should not want or desire more than you actually need. And then to even make it worse, 
sometimes there's real negative connotations attached to the idea if you do like you're greedy or you know there's other people going to go without or how dare you want more than your mother or your father there's a lot of different beliefs that can get mixed up in this idea but where it comes from stuff is it comes generally comes from our parents and it's all about them feeling bad about what they can't provide and in all fairness i will say they shouldn't give a kid you know everything the kid asks for but they're just passing down a belief that was told to them when a parent says to their child you have one pair of tennis shoes you don't need two they're saying that because they heard that from their parents and those parents heard it from their parents and this goes back several generations and it all came about by a per- people living you know hand to mouth they they made just enough to survive um it was not okay to want more because it made everybody feel bad you know i mean who what what parent really wouldn't want to give their kid more from time to time but when the purse strings are tight if work is difficult um if the people grew up in the depression if they grew up when times were really hard if they didn't take advantage of opportunity in their life they live with this idea that you can't have more we have to make the budget work you know it was large families it was low incomes so it became very pervasive this idea of you be happy with what you have you don't need anything more but the interesting thing about it is that need is not a number need is a perception it's a perception based on what i perceive that i need and you and i can grow up in the same neighborhood with relatively same values and your need could be way different than mine but we grow up each of us not surpassing what we need because the idea is what we need so we then pick things that we end up justifying in our mind that we need and it's never really all that much above what we grew up with so it's not like it was a number that can be reset this has more to do with an observation of how one's living and the emotion that is tied to it based on what they think that they value or or they or that they should value in their life but it all comes down generationally parents grandparents great grandparents got it okay just to reset the room real quick for those of you who are new to this room we are talking get off the revenue roller coaster with david nagel if you're in the room and you know someone who could benefit from this all you got to do is hit the plus button on the bottom of your screen and invite your friends, family members, team members, colleagues, coworkers, whoever you think could benefit from this. Also, if you're new to David, make sure that you tap on his profile picture and like ring the little bell in his profile. Not make sure that you get notified of any additional um clubhouse meetings that we'll be hosting. Okay, so we have established what this revenue roller coaster is. So it's, it's subconscious programming that's causing this take the put the foot on the gas take the foot off the gas put the foot on the gas take the foot off the gas we have established that it comes from past programming it's interesting because it's so insidious you know for those of you listening we were we were having a a VIP day with one of our private clients and we were welcoming welcoming them into the room and i think they've been working with us for a while they're they're super like they've got great abundance mindset and i asked you know where are you where are you staying and instead of staying in a hotel they decided to rent a house on the lake where we're in um charlotte north carolina we live on a really big lake rent a house on the lake and the client said oh we rented this 
this house on the lake. It's way bigger than we need. And I looked at him and I said, well, good thing it's not about what you need. It's about what you want. And he immediately like caught himself and started laughing. Like really think to yourself, how many times do you think that? Well, you're shopping and you're like, well, I really don't need something like that. Or I really don't need those pair of shoes. Or I really don't need this when actually it's got nothing to do with whether or not you actually need it. It's about what you've tied, the, the, the meaning that you've tied to those things and what it might mean for you. So, David, let's take this a little bit further. So, someone in business puts their foot on the gas and they start making money. They start making money and they start making money and they start making money. And then all of a sudden, they come back down again. And this time, they come back down lower than their need line. And then they start going back up again and they come back higher than their need line. Why is it that they never get... Like, why is it that they can't push either really high or really low, but they stay within a couple of degrees of that need line? Okay, so, so let's look at it like this. Not only did our parents give us this idea that you shouldn't have, you shouldn't ask for an extra whatever because you don't need it, they also made us feel guilty about what we do have. And many of the ideas are you should be extremely grateful um, because your, your mother and your father worked so hard to provide for what you have. And the idea is that not that you shouldn't be grateful. You, you totally should be grateful. But there was almost this insinuation of guilt if you asked for something beyond what they provided. Because it was like you don't think your mom and dad are good enough uh, as what it is that they're giving you. They're already working themselves to death, so to speak. You know, they're in the grind every day. Don't you know what we do for you? And it's like, who the hell are you? How dare you actually ask for more? So we get these indications that we're wrong for asking for more. Now, what does that do? It attacks the side of us as human beings that want and that desire to have more. So we get this little nick in our subconscious mind that says, hey, we're not a good person if we actually ask for more. It doesn't matter what the reason why is. We're constantly getting this message, it's not okay to ask for more and we should be just satisfied with what we have. So our subconscious mind operates very much like the thermostat in a person's house. If you set the thermostat to 70 degrees, I know, Steph, we're at your house, so it would be much higher, I understand. But if we set it at 70 degrees, <laughs> Because you're in my house, it'd be 770 degrees. If if the temperature rises, the air it's going to sense a deviation in the set point, and the set point is 70 degrees. It automatically kicks on the air. That air cools. That the air conditioning cools the air, brings it back down to 70 degrees, and it shuts itself back off again. Right. So. Um, autopilot of an airplane works exactly the same way. It senses the deviation. In, in, the, in the point that was set as a destination, the subconscious mind does the exact same thing. Let's say that you're programmed that you're going to earn exactly what it is that you need. And what you need is 100000 a year. But you want to increase it. The need is 100000 a year. So you may consciously push past that number periodically. But the second you take your conscious attention off, of how you're working to get past that number, it senses, your subconscious mind senses the deviation in the set point, 
and it adjusts you emotionally and physically to go right back down where you were. So you will always manifest something physically or circumstantially in your life that causes you to justify why you take your foot off the gas and you stop working the way that you were working. Hence, my whole idea that it's just, it's not just about the approach because if the approach is consistently working harder, which is really just a middle class value system, you have to work with a solid strategy, an income strategy that's gonna allow you to really expand your income with, so you do more with less effort, let's put it that way. If you don't do something like that, you're always pushing against your subconscious mind. You're not making it easy, you're making it harder. If we're gonna make something harder, we have to consciously focus on it more and more and more and more. So we're fighting ourselves the whole time. We're not fighting the client. We're not fighting a marketing system. We're not fight, fighting anything externally. We're fighting our own internal program that says, hey, you know what? You made 10 calls today. You made 10 dials today. You were, you were, you were $200 or $2,000 ahead a week ago. Take it easy tonight. Go, go have a beer. Take somebody out to dinner. Just relax for the night. Don't do anymore. And when we do that, that's it. It's over. The subconscious won. It got you to stop the pursuit of what you wanted, and it got you to settle for what you need. Okay, so that's talking about when you're trying to hit a goal, right? Uh -huh. There's another phenomenon that happens here, and we've seen this, we've seen this over and over again, where people will let themselves fall way below the need line, but not too far. And then all of a sudden, something out of the blue happens uh, that brings them the money that they need that takes them back up to the need line. Can you yeah. explain why that happens? Yes, I sure can. So just like we have a financial set point for the need, we have two things that kind of create boundaries outside of it. One would be what we call a wealth story. The other one would be what we call a poverty story. And these are, these are what I call stories of exposure. Um, and what that means is this, as we were growing up as children, we all had some kind of an experience with people that were wealthy and with people that lived in poverty, even if it wasn't a direct experience, like even if you didn't know them or you didn't interact with them, you heard about them through stories, you heard about them through conversations your parents had, you heard about them through uh, the television or movies. We all know about these, these individuals. Not only do we know about them, but we also know what the warnings are around these scenarios, and they're not positive. Most of them are not positive. Most of the time that we hear about wealth on TV, very rarely is it actually a good thing. It's usually some embezzlement, or somebody was crooked, or somebody did something unjust, or somebody was greedy because the news is constantly selling stories of drama and fear and pain and loss. They will have little stories in there about people that did had wealth and they did good, but that's not what, make head, what makes headlines. So when we're talking about poverty, um, we're talking about something that most people, if you, especially if you're middle class or working class, actually have a deep-seated fear around. They're scared to death that they will they will lose what they have and that they'll they'll everything that they have has been actually taken from them part of the reason for this 
is actually a valid reason, even though most people kind of shove it under the mattress, so to speak, they don't want to really talk about it or admit it, and that's what, that's what this is. When you work for somebody else, if you're not conscious of the money that you make and what you do with it, you're very susceptible to whoever it is that you're working for, because at a whim, they can let you go. And not as much today, but 50 years ago, you know, easy, even longer ago than that, um, people's livelihoods were very susceptible to being destroyed if all of a sudden they, they could not be hired. Like if people didn't want, want to hire them or they would want to work for them, they would be in big trouble. So we, grip, we get this fear that is part real because of the time that it was created, especially back in the 20s and the 30s. But it's perpetuated generationally to this idea that you have to be very, very careful that you don't end up in this place where you, you, you're completely broke and you lose everything. Because of what? This is the, the important part. It's not because people have amazing skills and they can rebound from a loss and they can come back. It's because of what the neighbors think. What would the neighbors think if they knew that we couldn't pay our bills? What would the neighbors think if we had to borrow money just to be able to pay the light bill? What would the neighbors think if they knew that we had to take a second job because we couldn't afford to send the kids to school? And on and on this idea goes. So we also perpetuate another fear, and that's what other people think about us based on the behavior and the life choices that we actually make. So now you have a person who is going after making more money. They do, they do find one month. The next month, they're at the need level. They don't, do, they don't do well. But then something happens in their life, something unexpected. Refrigerator goes out. The air conditioning in their house goes out. Their, their, their car engine blows up. Something unexpected shows up that's going to require that they actually take money out of the bill money to pay for whatever this emergency is. This is a very simple scenario to explain that this month the person cannot meet their monthly need. They need to take their monthly bill money and pay down the emergency. So what happens? They drop below what they need. This is very interesting because when they first drop below what they need, the emotion that they experience is fear. Fear sets in. Oh shit, what the hell are we going to do? We better, you know, we have to do something. If this goes on for more than a month or so, they're in danger zone because now they're going down, right? If they don't have a big savings. And a couple of years ago, Steph, there was a study done in North America for men that were 50 years old had less than $5,000. There were like 80% of men 50 years old had less than $5,000 in the savings account. It was astounding. The number was crazy. <clears throat> but the point is, is that people don't save and, and accrue their wealth to their, to their own benefit, especially if they don't know how to go out and make a, a lot of money at a, you know, at a whim. So now they're faced with this. If I don't make money really quick, what is going to happen? What is going to be the process that happens? Well, what's going to happen is they're going to start taking my stuff. And when they take my stuff, it's not so bad that they take it. Because if a person's really thinking, they know that as soon as they get the problem solved, they'll be making money again and everything will be fine. But the problem is this. Other people will find out that people are taking those things because they can't pay those bills. So they switch from fear 
to urgency. And this is where the most unbelievable thing happens. The moment they switch from fear to urgency, money starts showing up in their life. They might get a check from, from grandma for their, for their birthday. They might get an unexpected IRS refund. Uh, somebody might send them money for, you know, whatever. I have interviewed people all over the world with this phenomenon. When I first started to realize that it was a pattern in, within human beings, everybody would tell me the same story. They would never go broke and end up homeless unless they chose to do so. But at the very last minute, money would start showing up out of the most crazy places. And it, would, it wouldn't be what they wanted, but it would be just enough to get them by until that they could get their heads above water. And when I began to really study it, it was very interesting to learn that when we change our intention and we change the vibration that we're operating from fear to urgency, all of a sudden we start attracting the opportunity to bring us the money that we need to move ahead. And I thought, hey, you know what? If we can do that in fear, why can't we do that when we're in a in a sound place where we actually want to increase our income. That would be really interesting. That would be a really interesting thing. So that, I think that's what you were alluding to, Steph. Yeah, that is 100% what I was alluding to. And I think the interesting thing, I've heard you do this teaching so many times, honestly. It's fascinating. I mean, we've got, we've got boards created that teach this concept. But really, it, it really, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but really in all instances, the need value and the the being seen is all really about shame. It is. It's all about shame. It's all about being seen as less than, not being enough, not being good enough, which is all shame and guilt. Crazy to think that the amount of money that you make is being controlled by shame and guilt. Like it is, like right? It's kind of a wake-up call, right? Like it is. And the interesting thing, here's something else that's interesting about shame and guilt. Human beings are not born with shame and guilt. It's taught to them. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon because it's taught in all the major religions all around the world. It's also taught in all the societies all around the world. And in my investigation over the years and in looking into this, I was I kept asking myself the question, why? Like, am I sure this is not something that's part of the human genome? Is this not part of our psychology? And the answer kept coming up, no. And it wasn't. But it is one of the most effective ways of manipulating another individual to get them to do whatever it is that you want to do. So once you get a person to feel bad about themselves, you've got them. And that's one of the first things that parents do when a child, especially when a child reaches around, you know, that two, two three-year-old mark stuff that we're so familiar with. Yes. Um, and it's like you're at your wit's end to get this child to behave. People will resort to making them feel bad about themselves so that they'll start to actually behave. But what's unfortunate about that is that once that's instilled in a child, it's there forever, unless they actually do the work to remove it which is something entirely different. However, shame is all about this idea. I inherently believe there's something fundamentally wrong with me and I'm afraid somebody else is gonna see it. That is the key with shame. That is the whole idea behind what the neighbors think. You have to be careful. Don't let anybody know what you're doing. You know, it, it, 
there are places around the world today where it's still very dangerous for people to know certain things about you. But it was much more prevalent back in the day. I mean, people could be killed uh, all over the world if they had, you know, like if you were gay, if you practiced something besides Christianity, if you were, if you were basically anything different than whatever the, the, the governing board of wherever you lived said that you could be, you were in danger. So the idea was shove it underground. Don't let anybody know that this is what we're doing. Um, and then they taught this to their children. Like it was, it was all about not about how do I change this thing? It's about don't let anybody find out that you're doing this. You know, what, literally, what would the neighbors think if they found out that you were reading that or doing that or practicing this or believing that? And when it comes to money, if we lost money, what would the neighbors think if they found out we couldn't pay our bills? Who cares what the neighbors think? Like, really, who cares? However, it really controls not only our behavior, but how we think and how we approach what we do to actually earn money and break through the ceiling that we were, you know, kind of given by our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of some of some specific examples of our clients. You know, we'll hear someone really wants a nice car, like a, mm. a, a Mercedes or a BMW, and we'll say, "Well, why haven't you gone to test drive it? Like, why are you not?" buying it you have the funds it's part of your desire and they'll say well it'll make my family uncomfortable mm -hmm. right or they'll say i really want to move into a nicer apartment on the coast or i want to move into a bigger apartment but my mom will think it's too much or my sister will will be uncomfortable and they're not doing anything because they want to do it they're being controlled inadvertently by the fear of what somebody close to them is going to think of them and that's not freedom no, no, it's not freedom. Here, stop, check this out. So back in the 70s, <laughs> um, Joe Walsh wrote a song, Life has, has Been Good to Me So Far, which was a huge hit. And the idea was that because he became a rock star, he got everything that he wanted, but he couldn't enjoy any of it because of the... He was on the road constantly, and drugs, and cops were taking his Mercedes because he did 185 and all that stuff. It was a hit. It was, what I always found interesting about that song and other songs like it was that everybody loved it because they could relate to the idea that somebody else is taking everything away from you. It doesn't matter how hard you work or what you do, somebody's going to take it from you. And... I thought, you know, this is really fascinating. We've actually romanticized the idea of losing. And people come together and bond over this idea. It's when I worked, when I was middle class, working class person, um, and I would be experienced the other people that I was working with, it was all about how terrible everything is, how the company's taking everything, how we don't get enough, how we're abused, all this stuff. And nobody ever thinks to themselves, you know what, I made a choice to do this for a living. Nobody forced me to drive a truck or work on a dock, whether those are the things that I was doing, or be a secretary, or what, nobody forced you to do those things. Yet we take on in our life the work that we see as the equal to our internal value. We have to think about that. And not only do we take on the work that we think is equal to our internal value, we work it 
equally to what we think our internal value is. Steph, you're one of the greatest people that has ever worked with me. You probably have done more and worked harder than anybody I've ever worked with in our company. And our company would not be where it is today without you. You come here and you bring more and more and more and more consistently because you've increased your value as, as you an individual over a period of time. But not everybody does that. People sometimes go to work and say, what's in it for me? What is this company going to give to me? What, even people that start their own businesses, it's like the world owes them something. And they don't think to themselves, listen, the, the, the law, the law of the universe is, the universe will give me the equivalent of what I become. If I increase my value, then the universe will meet that with me. It will meet that with me. But if I don't increase my value, it will give me exactly what I believe that I'm worth. And that's the problem that most people have. They've never understood. They have to increase their worth psychologically, emotionally, and then in their ability. Is that similar to saying, and I know you've said this many times, you will only accept into your life what you think you deserve? It goes back to self-esteem, yeah. yes? 100%, yes, yes. Well, well, think about it. If your parents say, how dare you ask for a pair of roller skates? Don't you know how many hours a week your father works? You don't think you deserve it. Damn it, I'm a bad person because I asked for a pair of roller skates. Fascinating. For those of you just joining us, this is Get Off the Revenue Roller Coaster with David Nagel. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for sticking with us. This is I love this conversation. It's one of my favorite conversations. If you want to continue to follow David, go ahead and tap on his profile and ding the bell, and you'll get notified when we're back on Clubhouse. We're going to start taking questions. David and I are going to keep rambling away until we get some hands raised. If you have a question or need some help or just want some spot coaching, all you need to do is tap on the hand. It'll raise your hand on my screen. I'll move you up, and then you just need to make sure to mute yourself until I call on you. So if you have a question, go ahead and tap. I'll keep an eye out, and we'll just continue rolling right along. David. Yes. How does this impact sales? <laughs> it, well, so the question should be, how does it not impact sales? <laughs> so sales is sales is... Uh, done by human beings. Human beings are the ones that have this subconscious programming. So it, 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 it pretty much goes like this. If a person is not aware that this programming is controlling not only how much they make, but how they actually approach their work every day, their sales are being, their sales and whatever company they're working for, or if it's their own company, it's being limited by the ideas that their parents and their grandparents gave them. And until that changes, until they change that subconscious programming, their sales will not change. Their company will not increase. Now, really great companies understand this. They didn't understand this for a long time, but they started to understand it in the 70s because there were people in the 70s that became aware of what was actually controlling the sales of companies, and they went out there and they started teaching. And when they started teaching this stuff, they raised the income of these companies by hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, in the, in the long run, because what they taught people was how to change their self-image, how to change their self-worth. And as they, as well, so let me, let, me, let me phrase this correctly. 
they taught people how to do it that wanted to do it. It's not like somebody can teach you this and automatically it's going to change. You have to actually want to go in and change the program that's governing the amount of money that you make. But if you change it, your sales will change dramatically, like night and day right before your eyes, if you're willing to actually do the work to change it. So we've seen this show up in people actually repelling sales, like how they're showing up actually repels it. Yeah. Um, So real quick, special invitation for everyone on this, in this meeting room. David's doing a free four-hour workshop on this topic, how the financial set point, the revenue roller coaster ties directly into your sales results. It's happening April 13th. If you'd like an invitation, all you need to do is tap David's profile, scroll all the way down to Instagram, slide into his DMs, and in his, in his DMs, all you need to do is type set point. Once you type set point after we're done tonight, he'll get back to you, give you the link to join, and you can join us for a full four, full hours if this seems to be a consistent problem for you. So type this profile pic, scroll all the way down to Instagram, slide into his DMs, and just all you got to do is type set point. Well, and he'll know what to do once we see that. We'll send you the link to join. Yeah. Okay, not seeing any hands, so we're just going to continue this. Sure. So. The, the question, the big elephant in the room is, okay, now that we've established that, that we've got this issue, we've got a, a set point issue, we've got a self-esteem issue, we've got a need value issue, it's, it's fueled by shame and guilt. What the hell do we do about it? How do we change this? The first thing is that you have to honestly admit to yourself what you want. And, you know, if that's easier said than done for most people. That it's a, you know, when you say, if somebody says to you, listen, you can live a life. You can have whatever you want stuff. When you first start to think about this, you have no idea how many generations of people are behind the thought process that say, no, you can't. That's complete bullshit. You can't have whatever you want. Um, and all the reasons behind it, all the religious regions behind it, all the value and the beliefs behind it, all the, the experiential Beliefs behind it, people that grew up in the Depression or, or suffered through all that, and you know, World War II and all that crap. There's so much behind that idea for an individual that they have to work out for themselves that if they're not really seriously looking for it, it almost becomes impossible for a person because of this. The idea is that most people want to go through their life and they want to be accepted. I mean, I want to be accepted. I know you want to be accepted. You want your business to be accepted. You want people to like you. You want to be likable to people. You know, you want to, you want to provide service. You, you want to show up as a decent person in the world. And if there's one little thing, something like, what do I want, that all of a sudden starts setting people off in another direction, a person is going to think twice about actually changing that or making it vocal or public to people. So very often they hide it, they keep it in this secret place inside of themselves, they don't talk about it. And unfortunately, that's where dreams die. And they never come out to the surface. So I have, I have often said to a person, even before what they want, I've asked the person, what do you want your life to be about? Like when you get to the end of your life, what do you want that journey to have been about? And I think that it's, it's an interesting question because it, it really requires a person to really think a little bit about, you know, here's something that's very true. The time that I spend 
that is my life. I don't get that time back. Um, it's it's even in the even in the longest cases, the person lives to be a hundred. It's a pretty quick trip. Most of you that are listening to this call right now, you realize the older you get, the faster it goes. You know, um, we like to think that we're here for a long time, but in, even in the end, it's a it's a it's a pretty quick it's a pretty quick journey. So the question is, what do we want? What do we want to do with that time? And what governs what we want to do with that time? It helps us rearrange the priorities of our life to determine what is it that makes us happy now? What do we enjoy? What do we want to do? How do we want to provide service? How do we want to be a benefit to other individuals? And we, and we come to the realization, if we really think about it, that the only way that we can increase the quality of all of it is to internalize seeing ourselves as worth more, seeing ourselves as being better, seeing ourselves as uh, having the ability to provide more service to other people. So in order to do that, we have to see ourselves as being worth more. Um, when we do that, the question then becomes, are we willing to do the work to get to that place? Now, in the call that you talked about, Steph, that we're going to be doing, I'm going to be covering this in a lot of depth, especially with the very first point, which is what exactly do you want? So the key is this. If you can clearly define what you want, you're ahead of the masses. Why? Because the masses are coming from what they need. There's a big difference between what you want and what you need. And you have, to, as, a, as an individual, if you take nothing away from this, from this call, ask yourself if you know the difference between what you want and what you need. If you really know the difference, if you know it emotionally, can you feel it in your gut, the difference? There's a big difference between what you want and what you need. You were put here to go after what you want. You were conditioned to go after what you need. You have to break the conditioning of going after what you need, and you have to say, I'm going to make my life matter for something, and I'm going to go after what I want, because what I want is tied to my purpose in life. It's also tied to how I'm going to be a benefit to other people and how I'm actually going to get things that I really want. Because if you follow the law of the universe, you have to give in order to receive. It's the first order of the law. Everything in the universe, everything in nature first gives before it receives, including human beings. But human beings aren't taught that. So if we understand we have to give before we receive, but we want to receive more, we have to be able to give more. If we want to be able to give more, we have to become more. And if we're going to become more, we have to see ourselves worthy of more. And when we start to see ourselves worthy of more, we start to realize, damn it, you know what? The thing that I want is freaking important to me. It's very important to me to hell with what other people think. I seriously want something in my life, and it's okay to want that. There's a reason that I want that, because it's supposed to give me the inspiration to become more in my life so that I can give more to other people. And that's how the entire stuff, that's how the entire universe goes around in that aspect. We become more so we can give more, so we can receive more, so that we can become more. Oh, so good. <laughs> 
All right, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because I know there are some people listening to this. I know what they're thinking in their brain. They're thinking, what if I'm on this call and I don't know what I want? How do I figure out what it is that I really desire? Okay, so check this out. This is the part that I love. First of all, everybody knows what they want. They just want to admit it. So here's the deal. And I know this is tough for some people. It was hard for me. Like it, I'm like right there as a student with the rest of you. It was very difficult for me to cross this barrier, so to speak, in my own life. In your secret thoughts, I'm talking to you as individuals without your spouses or your lovers or your friends or your teachers or whoever is around you as an individual. The thoughts that you think about in your secret thoughts that you tell nobody about, the things that you fantasize about, that you desire, that you wish, that is telling you what it is that you really want. It's time that you start listening to it. And if you start listening to it, the craziest experience will start to happen in your life. The opportunity for you to get what you really want will begin to show up. It's not an accident that you're on this call. It's not an accident that you're listening to this. You're listening to this because you want something. And you know that I'm right. I may not even know you personally, but you know that I'm right or you, or you would have clicked off and went to another room somewhere in Clubhouse an hour ago. You know that there's something that you want. You have to admit it to yourself. That's the first step step. They have to admit it to themselves. They already know what it is. Awesome. Okay, guys, last offer for any kind of coaching or questions. I'm not seeing any hands, and I know my phone is not broken. Oh, here we go. <laughs> A.M., I am inviting you up. There you are, my man. Good afternoon, Steph. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Brandon. How you doing, my brother? Oh, man, how you doing, fam? Doing well. Listen, I, there's no way in the world I'm not going to ask you a question after you just said what you said about all the more. The, the being more, the having more, um, and the worthiness. You, you shared all of that, and you just walked away from it, like you said, past the salt. But I need you to come back to it, because you, you said something, I'm like, I need to hear it again. So would you mind, for a good friend, just repeating it back one more time? I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, so here's the this is the this is the deal behind this. Um, I firmly believe that the universe doesn't hide anything from us, and, and I will back up with this teaching a little bit, Am, just to so explain where I'm coming from. One of the questions in my mind that perplexed me for years was how is it that everything in nature gets exactly what it needs? The animals, the plants, the atmosphere the water, the fish, like how does everything get what it needs? Yet it has no conscious mind, it can't make decisions. It operates within the world that it's born in perfectly, just absolutely perfectly. How does that happen? And human beings who have this marvelous intellect that we're gifted are so screwed up. Something was seriously disjointed in my thinking about this. I, I just simply did not understand that I looked for years to try to find somebody that could share the answer with me as to why this is. And first and foremost, the, part of the reason is that 
All of nature does not have the conscious ability to choose, but human beings do. So because they don't have the conscious ability to choose, because nature doesn't have the conscious ability to choose, it does not choose to ridicule itself. It does not choose to tear itself down. It operates by a completely different set of laws. Those laws allow it to flourish, to thrive. And I thought, well, what is it the hell that human beings do? Human beings have the godlike experience of experiencing everything in the universe, including fear. The problem is, is that we can develop beliefs around fear. And we can develop lack and limitation because of that fear. And that can become a way that we actually follow one generation after another if we believe in that fear and if we teach it to the people, our children and our children's children and their children. And that's what's happened to a lot of people. They, they don't understand the law of abundance. They don't understand the law of everything here is for them. Now, instinct controls nature. Desire controls human beings. The desire that we feel in our heart is verification of God's promise for you of what you want and what you can be. You would never desire anything that you can't have or you can't want. Think about that. Now you may have to work, you may have to do some work on that because you may have never heard it before. But I guarantee you, if you do your homework on it, you'll find out that it's 100% true and it's the guiding light in every human being to be, do, and have what it is that they want to be in this lifetime. The decision is that they have to follow it. If they follow it, they get exactly what they want. If they don't follow it, they become a replica of generations of ignorance. And that's as, about as simple as I can make it, Steph. Do you follow that, A.M.? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's it's very simple. I can't deny that. I, I think the part that was this, um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the dynamic of um, not being worthy. The reason why is because I've, I've been running into this a lot lately with the um, the clients that I'm working with is um, the dynamic of not being worthy. Um, and it's and and Coach D, it, it is so much deeper than that imposter syndrome thing. Like it's almost like well, like it's authority. Well, it's, it's so the core wound is based on the authority of 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 who is your God in your life. Most people never never create never really understand the idea of God or the universe or spirit in their life as an authority. It, it actually sets them free. So the authority in their subconscious mind is their parents. So all core wounds are parental related, if you will. In other words, we got our core wound because of the initial separation from our parents and whatever the dynamic was around that, which is like, we don't have enough time to go into that, but it's different for everybody. So the idea is if we continue to follow the belief that we created around the idea of how our parents raised us, we will maintain that core wound. If we start to see ourselves as the universe sees us or as spirit sees us or as God sees us, which is a personified perfection or working toward that, so to speak, 
we raise our value because it's like don't offer it's like if we're raised if we're created in the image of God don't offer anything back to God that is not in that image but when we say we're not worthy that's our parents image that's not God's image of us God put you here through your parents we come from God and through our parents our authority in life is God or the universe whichever one works for you linguistically right and that's what we, we need to follow the laws of that. That sets you free. That gives you everything that you want. That shows you what your purpose is. That shows you what your value is. It gives you everything. A different set of laws. Gotcha, Coach T. Thanks so much. You bet. All right, everybody. I just want to say thanks for joining us. We're at the top of the hour. If you'd like to join us for the four-hour workshop on the 13th, all you got to do is tap David's face, scroll all the way to the bottom, tap on Instagram, and slide into DMs with Setpoint, and we'll get you all hooked up. Uh, we're planning to do this at least weekly, so make sure that you're tapping David's profile and dinging the bell so that you get notified when we do this again. It's been an absolute pleasure. David, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for answering all my questions. It was fun. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll see you again real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.